John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, God speaks it to us and we do need his help. So let's ask him to be at work as we hear his word. Uh, Father, thank you that you speak concerning your son uh, by your spirit. Uh, Please do be at work by the same spirit in us who hear. uh, That hearing words concerning him, uh, we would see him as he is and grow in our knowledge of him, our trust in him, Uh, our love and recognition of him as the one who is worthy of all praise. And we ask it through him. Amen. Some people hear the miracles of the Bible and they say, well, they never happened. Uh, In their minds, uh, whatever happened in Cana, Jesus didn't do something science can't explain Because nothing happens that science can't explain. I heard the idea a bunch of years ago that uh, this story actually, it's not about what Jesus can do so much as about Jesus' sense of humor. Uh, The master of the feast uh, going along with a joke. So the the, the way it goes is like this. Jesus hears there's no wine left. He tells the servants to try to try water because the guests are so far gone they probably won't notice. And so when the master of the face gets a glass of water, uh, he goes along with a joke, joke and sarcastically says to the bridegroom, water in his hand, uh, everyone else serves the good wine first uh, when people have drunk freely, uh, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. Kind of nice one, Jesus, good joke, water, yeah, no one. That's one thing uh, people who weren't there say about what happened. Because they don't believe that miracles can happen. But we get to listen to someone who was there. What does he say happened? What does he say about why it matters? Uh, Before we get into uh, what happened, I thought I'd show you where on a map. Uh, The verses we read last week uh, mentioned Jesus decided to go north from near Bethany to Galilee. Uh, as you see it there, down the bottom, so sort of halfway up Galilee. Uh, could be anywhere around that region. But uh, And then uh, this week, we see him going to Cana over there in the west uh, and north of Nazareth. And then at the end of verse 12, he's back down to beside Galilee, but this time further north up Capernaum. So that's where the that's where the movement is taking place. And all the action here in what we're looking at today takes place in Cana, north of Nazareth. Uh, at a wedding. Jesus' mother is there, Jesus himself is there, so are his disciples, presumably those five that we heard mentioned uh, last week. Uh, one of those five wasn't named, uh, and I suspect he's our writer, uh, the one who was with Andrew, uh, with John the Baptist, and John the Baptist saying, look, there's the Lamb of God, uh, and they, the two of them went. Probably that other one is the disciple Jesus loved who wrote this letter John the Apostle. He tells us what happened. He tells us what the disciples heard and saw and presumably got to taste. So let's look at what happened. Uh, Verses 1 and 2, they're at a wedding. Uh, By verse 3, the couple were married, but the wedding isn't over. Uh, The wedding feast has started. A wedding feast usually went for days, and everyone in the village was invited. People from outside the village invited. It was an all-you-can-eat and all-you-can-drink feast that went for days. And the groom paid for the open bar and the open table. 
as well as the shame uh, that would happen from running out of resources, uh, he can find himself in court if he failed to provide properly for the party. It was part of the deal with the with, with being married. Uh, the party's been going for a while here. Uh, it's not over, and there is no more wine. Jesus' mother tells him what's happened. Uh, I don't think the writer gives us any clues to kind of guess what she expected Jesus to do. Uh, maybe she's expecting the sort of wisdom and resourcefulness that she's seen him use in other circumstances, but you know, John doesn't say. She's obviously expecting him to do something because Jesus says, Woman, dear, what do you and I have in common as far as this goes? It's not rude when he calls her a woman, but it's not the usual way for a son to speak to his mother. It's part of a gentle rebuke. See, when he says, what does this have to do with me? More literally, it's, uh, what to me and to you? Uh, the, the edge of it is, what, what has this got to do with either of us? What have we got to do with each other as far as there being no wine left is concerned? The groom is responsible, not Jesus. Not his mother. Uh, if it was his wedding, he'd be the person uh, to tell that there's no, there's no wine left. But this isn't his wedding. It's about him and the wedding, but it's also about him and his mother. Uh, given what, he, what Jesus does next, the issue doesn't seem to be so much uh, him doing something as her expecting him to do it because she asks. Jesus is making it clear that uh, he doesn't run to her schedule. He answers to someone else. She doesn't set his agenda His heavenly father does. He says what hour. In the rest of John, uh, we'll uh, see that Jesus isn't bound by human advice or agendas. He is not manipulated by people's expectations, not his mother's, not his enemies. Jesus is bound to his father's will. His father sets the time, verse 4. In his father's timing, his hour will come. So what does Jesus mean when he speaks about his hour? What does Jesus mean when he says his hour has not yet come? It's not something he's mentioned already back in chapter 1. We can't see it in this verse, but read and reread the Gospel of John and you'll see where he's going with it. Because in the rest of the Gospel, you'll hear Jesus' hour mentioned again and again. I'm just going to refer to some verses and won't read them all. But in chapters 7 and 8, no one arrests Jesus because his hour has not yet come. In chapter 12, Jesus says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. For the down verse, verse 27, Now... Is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And Jesus humbly submits to his Father's will as he continues on to the cross. He goes to the cross. It is the hour when he is glorified. Chapter 13, verse 1. Chapter 17, verse 1. His hour is the hour of his crucifixion. He's glorified there in his death, resurrection, ascension to glory. 
On the cross, he reveals that God is the God of grace and truth, mercy and steadfast love and faithfulness. He shows us that God is a God of truth and faithfulness. Uh, as we see, God takes sin seriously, that guilt does not go unpunished. He shows us that God is a God of grace and mercy and steadfast love. As we see, God bring forgiveness for us who deserve his wrath. Jesus' hour is the hour he is glorified. And he is glorified as he is lifted up and judged to bring salvation for his people. And here in chapter 2, verse 4, it's not yet his hour. So he says, woman dear, what do you have, what do you and I have in common as far as this is, is concerned? It's not my hour. It's a mild rebuke. But Jesus' mother trusts him with it. If John's showing us anything about Jesus, or sorry, showing us anything about Jesus' mother, it's not at all that she has an inside edge with Jesus. I think it's that she trusts Jesus. Verse 5, she just says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And then the writer points out uh, six uh, stone water jars. Uh, they're there for Jewish uh, rites of purification. <laughs> they're big. They're, uh, they're 20 or 30 gallons each. That's somewhere between 70 and 105 liters each. I nearly bought a small watering, yes, yeah, so a small um, rainwater tank yesterday from Gumtree, uh, so I could bring a 100 liter one to show you, but it was too wet to go out. Uh, so it's a lot of water. Uh, the water they held was used for Jewish rites of purification, ceremonial washing of plates and cups and people. And Jesus tells the servants to fill them again. To fill, and they fill them right to the very top, the brim. Then Jesus tells the servants uh, to take some uh, out of the out of the, the jars uh, to the servant who's in charge of organizing the food and drink, and he tastes what the writer calls water now become wine. He doesn't know what he's tasting, but the servants know what it is. It's not at all what he was expecting. He was expecting something cheap and slightly nasty, or maybe very nasty. Uh, usually wedding parties, I would start with the reasonably good wine, and then the cheap bottles, and then the out-of-date five-liter casks, and they've already done all that drinking. So he knows what he expects next. He's expecting something even worse. He's expecting to grimace. But it's the best by far. We know it was just water a few minutes ago. He just knows it's really, really, really good wine. He tells the bridegroom, everyone serves the good wine first, and uh, when people are drunk freely, then the poor wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. The thing of it is, it's extraordinarily good, but it's also an extravagantly enormous amount. Do the maths, I couldn't resist doing the maths. Do the math in the, uh, from the footnote, and there's about 525 liters of wine in those jars. That's 700 wine bottles for a party in a small village. Now, that's a lot, even before you factor in that back then, they drank their wine diluted, somewhere between 1 and 3 and 1 and 10. Conservatively, it's at least 6,000 drinks. <laughs> it's an extravagantly enormous 
amount of really, really, really good wine. And Jesus made it out of water. The writer says in verse 11, This is the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. He calls this amazing thing that Jesus did a sign. It's a sign, verse 11. Uh, signs point. They say something. So what does this sign say? What does Jesus doing this say? What's the significance, significance of the sign? How does Jesus manifest his glory? How does Jesus changing water into wine at a wedding show us Jesus' glory? Well, a person's glory is a thing about them which makes them worthy of honor and fame and admiration and respect and praise. In this sign, Jesus shows himself worthy of honor and fame and admiration and respect and praise. So, hi, what does it show us? Well, first thing, it shows us Jesus is the maker. Uh, we see him uh, do this thing that science can't explain. Uh, uh, grape juice and yeast and thyme make wine. There's nothing normal about making wine from water, but Jesus did it. People who say it can't have happened because science can't explain it, they're kind of missing the points. The writer has been saying that uh, the person who was born and then named Jesus has been around since before anything was made. And actually, he's the person through whom everything was made. He's the person who made everything out of nothing. So here's just this tiny little glimpse that he can make. Science can't explain it. Uh, Some people write it off as unbelievable. But think about who the writer says Jesus is. He is far from an ordinary guy with a talent for catering for parties when things have gone wrong. Jesus is the person who made stars and earth, plant and animals and people. It's not a stretch to say that the person who made water and grapes and yeast and people can shortcut the sow, grow, harvest, uh, squeeze, ferment, bottle process. And one reason why the writer and other people became convinced that Jesus is the person who made all things in the beginning is because they saw him do this. The sign gives us a glimpse of Jesus, the maker. That's an aspect of his glory. But it's not the jewel. You could glance back at uh, chapter 1, verse 14, uh, which says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus' glory is as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17 says, Then the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. He is the greater grace. Uh, God gave a, a good gift through Moses. He has given a, a far better gift in the Lord Jesus. One glimpse of how much better is the difference between the water for external washing and wine to enjoy and drink. 
I think that's why the writer mentions uh, what the jars uh, were, that they were ceremonial washing jars. The laws given through Moses included some about some washing laws. By the time Jesus uh, came, people with religious minds had added more and more ceremonial washing laws. Uh, presumably this wedding has already needed 525 liters of water for those washing laws. Something a lot better has come with Jesus. Now, I don't think we can draw a straight line from ceremonial washing uh, through uh, in the Old Testament uh, through to an extravagantly enormous amount of top-quality wine. But wine is one of the ways that God speaks about richly blessing his Old Testament people. So entering the promised land meant God blessing his people with the fruit of vineyards they did not plant. He warned them that disobedience would bring curses, including that they would plant and dress, care for the vineyards, but they would neither drink nor harvest from those vineyards because enemies would take the land from them. Israel earned those curses. They experienced them in exile. But abundant wine is one of the ways the prophets spoke about how God would bring blessing to his people when he brought them back. So Jeremiah chapter 31 says, Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 12, sorry these didn't make it on the slides, Jeremiah 31, 12, they shall come and sing aloud in the height of Zion, they shall, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord, over the grain, the wine, and the oil, over the young of the flock and the herd. Their life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Hosea chapter 14, verse 7. Hosea chapter 14, verse 7. Uh, They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Amos chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper, when the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, uh, the mountain shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. Abundant wine is one of the ways that the prophets spoke about God bringing rich blessing to his people in the promised land. And when Jesus provides an extravagantly enormous quantity of top-quality wine, we get a glimpse of how God fulfills that. It's not his hour yet. It's not the time for that to be fully fulfilled. But when it is time, it will be something like this acted parable when Jesus provided wine at this wedding. God will richly and generously and abundantly bless his people through his son. And looking back, um, this side of Jesus' uh, life, death, resurrection, ascension, through his death and resurrection, he has already given every spiritual blessing to those who trust Jesus. We can confidently expect that there is an, an eternal future of celebrating our relationship with him And this sign shows it. 
one more connection. In Cana, Jesus provided wine when the wine provided by the bridegroom ran out. We who trust Jesus look forward to a wedding feast where the table will never be empty, where the cups will never run dry. A feast where Jesus himself is our bridegroom. A couple of weeks ago, we heard chapter 3, verse 29, John the Baptist talking about Jesus as bridegroom. And in the Old Testament, that's one of the ways that God speaks about himself with his people. The whole book of Hosea really is spoke by God, the bridegroom, about his rebellious bride. The prophet um, Isaiah writes, I will, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. God promised that he would bring his people as his faithful bride. That day in Cana, it wasn't time for Jesus to sit down and celebrate his marriage to his people, but we have a glimpse. When he does, it will be something like this acted parable. We've got the enormously extravagant provision of top quality wine. A feast where Jesus himself is the bridegroom and all his rescued people are his bride. The writer tells us what happened in history. And he tells us why it matters, what it points to. What's the sign off? It's important for us to see that the disciples didn't blunder blindly into their beliefs about Jesus. They had reasons to believe. It's important to see how their beliefs are rooted in what God said through Moses and his prophets. This story shows us Jesus. So see him. Soak in what it says about him. See Jesus, the maker, who is full of grace and truth, who brings his people into rich blessing who brings his people as his own precious bride. And say that the cross is his hour of glory. He's glorious in every aspect of who he is. Every aspect of him is worthy of honor and fame and admiration and respect and praise. His eternal nature, his power and wisdom as maker, his beauty and love and justice. But the jewel of his glory is his grace and truth. His compassion and mercy which took him to the cross. So that instead of being shut out of God's blessing, we who trust him get to experience them and enjoy them. Enjoy him. Not experience curse, but rather blessing. Because Jesus suffered. That's his glory. I thought I'd finish with two brief reading. Uh, one from the Old Testament, uh, one promise God spoke through Isaiah centuries before he sent Jesus. And another, a vision which God gave to the same writer who wrote the gospel we've been reading from. Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 9. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, 
a rich, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that he cast over all peoples, the veil that he spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God, and we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. In Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 to 9. I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah to the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we do get to see your Son as we hear your word. Please do help us to see him as he is and so to see you as you are. Jesus, the maker, full of grace and truth brings his people into rich blessings as his own precious bride. Thank you that for centuries you spoke about him before he came. Thank you that for centuries since his coming, uh, his gospel has been proclaimed. Thank you for the promise of that day when we will gather to rejoice in the great salvation that you brought through your son and gather as those who have been saved, those who are loved, those who are his precious bride. Father, please do expand our sight of Jesus. Help us to see him more clearly. Father, please do expand our trust and confidence and love for our glorious Savior. It's in him that we pray. Amen.